First John 1. Um, and we are reading from chapter 5 right through to chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, right, all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propiciate, sorry, knew I was going to stumble in this one. <laughs> Propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have, sorry, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Um, can I, oh, that sounds a bit, is that too loud? I don't know, whatever. Uh, see, can I just say, if you're, if you're a visitor, I know we're all kind of new here, but if you're, especially if you're, if, if you've never been connected with them to a village church before or anything like that, then can I just make, can I just make you feel, I want to make you feel really welcome. I want, you want you to know that you're, uh, uh, really welcome here, especially if you live in this area, like we want to get to know you. We want, we want this church, uh, in a sense, this church has existed here for a long time in, in these streets because uh, we meet in each other's homes, and that's a really big part of what we do. Um, and we want this church to be a blessing to this community, to the Ormer Road, to Stramillis, to the Lisburn Road, to all South Belfast. We want, we want this church to be a blessing and to be a benefit uh, to this community. So if you do, if you're, if you're new, like, I'd love to... I'd love to uh, I'd love to say hello, I'd love to, and it's not just me, there's tons of people who would love to say hello and love to chat to you, so, um, but you get the idea, if you're a visitor, you're really welcome. Um, what, we're, what we do is we're going to just uh, read ch uh, uh, chunks of the Bible, and we'll work through books of the Bible, um, and, and, we'll, uh, and, and we'll just teach them every week, we'll, we'll break them down, try and figure out what it's saying to us and how we apply that to our lives. Um, we even big words like propitiation, like we'll get there later on, because it is a big word, and it, but it has an amazing meaning. Um, and because uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, right? We believe that it's actually the Word of God. We believe that it's living. We believe that, uh, I, I love this thing. There's a, 
I don't need to go into it. Just as I bore you with the details, but there's a, a teacher that I really like, and he says this. He says that uh, just as uh, our voice is carried on our breath, and that's how we hear it, uh, the word of God is carried on his breath to our hearts, and the breath of God is his spirit. Um, so it's like, actually, when we read and hear the Bible being read, it's actually his words coming to us, carried on his breath. It's not just, it's just this lovely, like, lovely way to think about it. Um, it was Tim Chester said that. Uh, <laughs> Um, so we, we started last week with our first Sunday ever here. We started this series uh, called Vital Signs, um, uh, study in the, in the book of 1 John. Uh, John was an apostle of, of, of Jesus. He was one of his disciples. He was one of Jesus' best friends. By the time he's writing this, most people think that, most scholars think that he was probably the last remaining apostle. So he was like the last living one of Jesus' disciples. He outlived them all. Um, he was probably quite young. Uh, compared to someone like Peter, another disciple. Um, you know, John was maybe uh, in his very early 20s or, or even maybe late teens whenever Jesus called him. And so he outlives a lot of them. And he's, he's living in Ephesus, uh, which is this, uh, uh, this place, the city in modern-day Turkey. And he's, he's, uh, he's caring for all these churches by writing them letters because he's too old to go around and visit them. So he writes letters to them. And he has these three letters in the New Testament, and we're in the first one. Um, and he's really given them these vital signs. There's a lot of false teaching going on. He's given them these vital signs that we'll see over and over and over again, repeated throughout the letter. And we looked at them last week, so I'll just recap them. Uh, he, he's basically saying, if the, if the church is really alive, if there's actual real life of Jesus in the church, then we will, we will have right belief in Jesus. That is, we'll believe the right things about who Jesus is. We'll believe that Jesus is actually who he said he is. We'll also have right obedience to God, okay? So we'll, we'll actually do what God says. So, and this is a big one for today, actually. If we actually believe, if we truly believe that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, do we do what he says? That's a sign that there's actually life in the church, that, that Jesus is actually present. And then finally, right love for one another. Like, do we love one another? I mean, for John, this is a massive one, and we even heard it read today. He, he's this kind of like grandfather of the church, like he's an old man, and he calls them little children. He says, my little children, I love that. Um, and he says, love one another, and that's a massive command, and we're gonna come back to that again today. So these three vital signs that we see over and over and over again. And he starts the letter, and we saw last week, he starts with talking about who Jesus is, right? He says, you need to have this right belief in Jesus. And then as we kind of, as we pick up where we left off last week, he started with uh, vital signs based on who Jesus is. Now he's saying, it's time to examine yourself. It's time to examine yourselves. Like, what are you actually, what's actually going on in your heart? Um, and in this next section of the letter, he's saying that what the, what the Christians there believe about themselves particularly their attitude towards their sin and their obedience to God's commands are signs that they actually have a relationship with God. So if, if we, what our attitude to our sin is and how we obey or don't obey God is really like a measuring gauge. It's like a barometer of, of what our relationship with God, with God is like. And that's why I've called uh, this talk uh, Attitudes and Obedience, Signs of Knowing God. If we truly know God, Kind of what he's saying in this letter, summed up what, we're, what he's in this passage today. If we really know God, we're going to have the right attitudes towards our sin, and we'll obey his commands. Sin is a funny word, isn't it? Because nobody really, nobody, like if any Joe like no one really, um, no one really talks about sin anymore, do they? Right? 
Um, so it's a weird thing for us, but we have to address it because it's in the Bible and we believe the Bible is the word of God. So we're going to unpack it and we're going to figure out what's going on. But he starts in a funny place, right? He wants us to understand. He wants us to think about ourselves and our own attitudes, but he doesn't start with us. So uh, Haley has this friend and her dad's from Cookstown and he doesn't live in Cookstown anymore. But if you were to ask him directions to anywhere in Northern Ireland, he'd always say, well, you go through Cookstown and then, so you could be in Balamina, and he'd say, and you want to go to Coleraine, he'd say, well, you go through Cookstown, and then, so, but John's kind of doing that thing here. He wants us to, um, to look at ourselves and examine ourselves, but he doesn't start with us. He starts with God, right? He starts with, uh, he starts with a focus that's much bigger and much more important than their own hearts. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Keep your Bibles open, your apps open, because um, we're going to be just kind of reading through the passage a lot today. Um, He says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He's saying that this message I have for you is about your attitude to sin and your obedience to God's commands, but I'm going to start with God. I'm going to tell you about God first. It's this announcement he makes, it's almost as if he makes this big statement, God is light and expects that to have an effect, expects that to change people. Why? Because nothing else about us really matters except who we are in relation to God, right? There's nothing more important in, there's nothing more important in your life than, than where you stand with God. Because you might, have, you might have all these identities in life, right? You might be a mom, you might be a sister, you might be a runner, you might be a, a, a computer programmer, you might be all these things that you might use to identify yourself or define yourself. But none of these things are going to last. But what will last is what your relationship with God is like, where you stand in relation to God. That's the only thing that has eternal and everlasting consequences. And that's why John starts here. And he says this, he says, God is light. God is. Anytime the Bible says these words, God is, we have to take note, right? We have to, it's important to, it's important to understand what's going on there because at that point, the Bible says something really, really specific about God. And the Bible uses this imagery of darkness and light a lot, right? And it uses it in different ways. So um, it, it can be a sign of like um, light and darkness can be good and evil. You're familiar with that one. But, but anytime it says that God is light, using the, using the word light in relation to God, he's t- it's always talking about God's purity, his holiness, his complete goodness, right? That's why, that's why he doesn't just say God is light. He actually goes on to qualify that with, in him there is no darkness at all. Because he's saying he's completely pure. He's completely holy. There's no darkness in him at all. And if you think about it, it's the perfect analogy to use. Bear with me. Because light and dark can't coexist together. Right? Think about it. So we have this baby monitor. So we can hear Abby whenever she's screaming. Although she's only like, you know, 10 feet away, so we'd hear her anyway. But um, it has uh, has this wee green light on the front of it to tell you that it's on. And uh, if it was in this room right now, you wouldn't even notice it. It's like the tiniest green light. But you see when you turn the bedroom light off, it's like blind and you're like, shut up, I'm trying to go to sleep, this giant light. You say, shut up, light. That's what you say to a light. But it's tight, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, like, it's like that big, a wee LED, and it's faint and it's green, but as soon as you turn the bedroom light off, it's like the brightest light in the world. 
Because light and dark can't coexist. Even in, even if, in darkness, even if there's the smallest light, it's no longer dark. You get what I'm saying? Even where there's the smallest source of light, it's no longer completely dark. Where there is light, there is no longer darkness. So God can't be a bit light. He can't be like, well, he's mostly light, but he's got this wee green light. He's got, you know, it's not like that. Where there is light, there is no darkness. So a few years ago, I say a few years ago, like 10 years ago, I was in Bolivia. Uh, and, and I got, a, I don't know why I did this, it seemed like a good idea at the time. But they have, the, they have this mountain there and uh, they worship the devil under it and all this kind of stuff. But they have these mines where they mine silver. And uh, so you're on this tour and it's, it's, I mean, it's not safe at all. Like it's, anyway, so we're down there and everybody has like uh, the hat on with the light. Um, uh, okay, everybody turn their light off your head to get the light to come back on again. <laughs> it's really dodgy. But at one point, the guy's like, okay, everybody turn their light off. And you turn the light off and it's like the darkest like you're in a mountain, you're inside a mountain. It's like complete, you can almost feel the darkness. And then he's like, wait for a few minutes till your eyes acclimatize and you're waiting and nothing happens because there is no light source at all. It's completely dark. And then to give you an idea of the conditions that the miners used to work in, he lights a candle. He lights this, like a wee tiny candle this size and he lights this candle and it's like the brightest thing you've ever seen because your eyes are just accustomed to complete blackness. Like your hand could be there and you, you couldn't see it. And then he lights this candle, and you can suddenly see the whole, the whole mine. Like, you can see everybody. Like, it's, it's an incredible thing, because light and dark can't coexist. Where there, is dark, where there is light, there is no longer darkness. And it's because of this relationship between light and dark that, 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 that we need to start at this point when we look at ourselves. The statement, God is light, demands a response. And that's why he starts here. Right, so, and, and that's not a statement. I can make lots of statements about lots of people. I feel, I feel like that happens when I move to certain places. So maybe I should just stay still. I can make lots of statements about lots of people and they have no effect whatsoever. So I could say, Tim is a Spurs fan and that has no effect on me whatsoever. It doesn't have much effect on anyone, but um, <laughs> it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change it. They're still struggling to get a trophy after how many seasons, but... Um, but when I say God is light, that changes everything. And let me tell you why. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was this prophet in the Old Testament, and God gave him this vision of the glory of the Lord before he was going to go and tell the people what God was saying. He takes him and he gives him this vision. He says this, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is all imagery. Above him stood the seraphim. The seraphim were these heavenly creatures. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Even these heavenly creatures had to cover their face and their feet in the presence of God. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we see the, the glory of God, we will respond. We will bow down before Him. It's just a natural response because the light of His glory, His purity, exposes our own impurity. I'm a man of I, even a prophet when he saw God said, Woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. 
And when we look at his holiness and his purity and his goodness, when we allow that to shape us, it just changes everything. So that's why John starts here and he says, God is light. And he said, because of that, you need to think about your attitude to your own impurity. God is light, and if you truly know him, you will have the right attitude to your sin. Listen to verses 6 to 10. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want to be honest with you. Um, I really struggled with this, 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 those few verses this week. I was going round and round and round. And I was like, I, I don't... I don't it, for some reason, it just wasn't like clicking with me. And I was like reading what other people have written about it. And I was trying to figure out what is going And then eventually, on Friday afternoon, I was talking about it with a friend. And it just seemed to like fall into place. It's really, really simple. Really simple. John's given us these signs of life, right? He's, he's saying, these are the si- this is how you'll know if there's life in the church. And what he's saying, if we really know Jesus... Our attitude to sin will be that instead of lying about it and keeping it in the dark, we'll confess it and walk in the light. Okay? So if we really know Jesus, the attitude to our own impurity and and all the ways that we feel and mess up will be that not that we hide it and try and keep it secret and keep it in the dark, that we'll, we'll, we'll confess it and we'll bring it into the light and we'll walk in the light. But that poses a problem for me because... I like lying about my sin. I don't want you to know where I struggle. That's what I feel like most of the time. I don't want you to know that I feel. I don't want, I don't want you to know the things that I struggle with. I, I want you to think that I'm a good guy. I want you to think that, oh, he's, a, he's, he's, he's doing all right. He's, he's like a holy guy. He's, you know, he's, 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 he's getting on with things. I think we all feel like, if, like that, don't we? We want to present a better version of ourselves to each other than we really are. And it's not anything new. That same feeling, that same attitude, is, is this, that's been around since as long as there's been people and as long as there's been sin. So I don't know how much you know the Bible or not. But in the, the Bible tells the story of the first human beings, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And they, um, they disobey God and they rebel against God. And essentially in their hearts are saying, we don't need God. And their first response, I love this, their first response is to hide. As soon as they do that, they hide. And so what do they do? <laughs> Which is kind of funny when you think about it. They hide in the bush. They hide in the bushes as if that's going to protect them from God. Maybe God won't find me uh, if I hide in this bush. They hide from God. And then they, they hide from each other. They sew together, try and sew together fig leaves to, to hide from each other. And we do the same thing. See, our, our, our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. And this is what John is addressing in this passage. And he says, uh, there's these three types of lying about sin that we, that we do and we need to be careful of. In verse 6, he says, uh, the first one is lying to others, lying to each other, hiding our sin from one another. In verse 6, he says, if you have fellowship with God, and if you say you have fellowship with God and you really don't, you're lying to each other. And the result is that the fellowship is broken. 
You know that fellowship, maybe you are here last week, we talked about this, this close, intimate family relationship that we have in Jesus, that the being in Jesus gives us this close relationship with one another, that we actually become family. He's saying that if we hide our sin, that that intimate relationship is broken. You see, we can't have relationship with one another if we're pretending to be something we're not. If we're pretending to be better than we are. If we're, pretend, if we're trying to present a better version of ourselves. And I want to say, that's why at this church, it'll always be okay to not be okay. Okay? I, that's a lot of okays. I really mean that. It'll always be okay to, to be okay. Don't try and clean yourself up. Don't try and hide your doubts. Don't try and hide your fears. And Just be not okay and be okay with that. Because if, we're, if we aren't honest with each other, and we're not honest with where we're at, then, then how can the Holy Spirit be working through us and ministering to each other in that? How will the gospel change us? And the truth is, like, we all struggle. Big, I, I struggle big time. We all sin. We all have our doubts. We all have the issues that we keep struggling with. But when we're honest with each other about these things, we bring our sin into the light. And the fellowship is restored. Listen to what John says in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He's saying, walk in the light. Don't try and hide your sin. Step into the light and let the purity and holiness of God cleanse you from your sin. This is how we maintain our fellowship with one another. If we want to be a healthy church, and I think that if you're part of this thing, then you definitely want that. Weird. We have to have spiritual honesty. We have to be honest about where we're at. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we should all go around uh, sharing our deepest, darkest secrets with everybody all the time, right? That might be actually quite dysfunctional. But that's why we have cores. That's why we have these core groups, so that we can go deep with the two or three of our brothers and sisters and actually bear our souls and actually share these things and say, I'm really struggling with this area and with this area. Can you please help me? But in a general sense, in a wider setting, we do still need to have a mindset of honesty about our sin. So don't present a better version of yourself than you really are. You don't need to do that here. You don't need to do that with these people. You don't have to clean yourself up. In this family, we don't pretend that we're less sinful than we really are. What we do is we just admit that we're all sinful. And we're all just relying on the blood of Jesus. We all need Jesus. We all need to be honest. And in our honesty, we're all just trusting that the Jesus and his blood cleanses us from all sin. And this is the attitude we need to have about our sin. The second type of lying about sin that John mentions is lying to ourselves. In verse 8, he says that if we say we have no sin, we're actually deceiving ourselves. And I think this is one of the th- most destructive things we can do, right? Because, uh, Bear with me. I think we're all probably guilty of it. We tend to think of ourselves as being better than we are. I do, anyway. I'm like one of those people that looks in the mirror and I'm like, oh, yeah, I look pretty good today. When actually, I know I don't. But you know what I mean? Like, we, I, I'm particularly, this is an attitude that I have. And I think that when it comes to our sin, we, we probably try to present a better version of ourselves to ourselves. So we might say, well, I might struggle with a bit of pride, but I'm not like that guy. Or, um, 
uh, I might be struggling with, with this area of sin, but um, at least the rest of me is okay. Or I might be struggling with lust, but at least I'm not having an affair. These kinds of things. But this is so destructive because when we actually lie to ourselves about our sin, we're, 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 we're saying to ourselves that we don't really need Jesus. We're saying, I'm good, I've got this covered. Because if I, I'm okay, I, I don't really need Jesus to save me. We're making his death and his cross pointless. So imagine, imagine if you got diagnosed with, with, a, with a disease. Imagine you got diagnosed with cancer, right? And, and, and you just refuse to believe it. You're just like, no, nah, I'm good, I'm fine. And so you'd refuse treatment, the whole thing. How do you think that would go? The disease would grow and spread until eventually you'd just die. But if you accept the diagnosis, if you say, actually, I have this inside me, I do need the treatment, then you can be cured from it. You can be healed from it. And just like, if you do it, just like having cancer, you can't do anything. You can do nothing to rid yourself of your sin. Only Jesus can do that. And so we do this by constantly and consistently applying the gospel to our lives. Being honest about, with ourselves about where we're at. And to deny, our, to deny our sin is to deny that we need Jesus. And this is why John says in verse 8 that the opposite of this. If we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sin. He's faithful. That means that, that he always will. He's faithful. He always will cleanse us from our sin. He is just means that, that he's the only one who can because there, in him there is no darkness at all. He's the only person that could cleanse us from our sin. And those two things together, he always will and he always can. Isn't that amazing? And the third way that we lie about our sin is we lie to God. In verse 10, if, you're, if you have it in front of you, uh, he says that if we say we haven't sinned, we're actually denying what God has said about us. In a sense, I think maybe this is the darkest of all three. Maybe. But, but this is kind of where we're at as a culture, isn't it? Um, I, I think that one of the, the prevailing cultural narratives that we have right now is that, 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 is that human beings are basically good. I actually had this conversation with someone last night. <laughs> and um, we went to see, we went to see um, First Man. It's amazing. You know, anyway, I was talking about space stuff last week. It's, it's class. Um, but, but we were talking about this idea of like uh, how, you know, exploration and reaching, reaching for the horizons, that's a really good instinct. And, and my friend who's an atheist, he was saying that actually that's, that's a, that's because humans are basically good, you know. Anyway, I had an ulterior, I had an opposite opinion. But, but, but the prevailing cultural narrative is that I'm okay, you're okay, and we're all okay. Okay. And so things like, and I'm going to sound really old-fashioned here, but I don't care. Um, things like, we don't call adultery adultery anymore. We call it having an affair because it just sounds a bit easier. It's not as harsh. It's not as bad. Or, or sometimes we, 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 we put ourselves first above everybody else at the expense of everybody else, and we just say, well, I'm just sticking up for my rights. My rights. And all these things are, are just a kind of denying what God has said about us. Romans 3, 23, God's word says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. This is what the Bible says about us. And if we say we haven't sinned, then we're making God out to be a liar. We're saying, no God, no, you know what God, I don't have any sin. You're wrong. But the only way to be free, the only way to have true life, 
This is what John's saying, like real life in the church. The only way to, to make sense of pain and suffering and crime and evil is to accept what God has said, that all have sinned. Because when we do this, what happens? We make room for the gospel to fix us and to heal us and to save us and to free us. And that's the whole point of spiritual honesty. That's why John's saying this. Stop lying about yourself. And when you do, or stop lying about your sin. And when you do this, then you'll realize that the gospel of Jesus actually has cleansed you from all sin. And we all need Jesus day after day after day. And this is the type of church that we want to be. This is the type of church that we're going to be. We're going to be spiritually honest with one another. I'm not asking you to make that commitment to me right now. I'm just saying that that's where we're going. We're going to be honest about where we're at. Because only in doing that do we allow the gospel to just flood in. We're all on an equal playing field here. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian two seconds or, or 25 years. Let's get our sin out into the light and let the blood of Jesus deal with it in the way that only he can. God is light, and if we truly know him, we will have the right attitude to our sin, but also we will obey his commands. Let's dive into chapter two. Read verses three to six with me. He says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right, this is really simple. And for John it was simple. If you know Jesus, you'll obey Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you know Jesus, you'll obey him. And it's one of the, it's one of the three vital signs that run throughout this whole letter. He's saying if you know Jesus. If you want to know if someone really knows Jesus, do they do what Jesus says? But notice he says, whoever says that I know him. Now, when he's saying uh, uh, know Jesus, he's not just saying uh, that you know of Jesus or you know about him or you can recite all of his teachings or he's not just saying, it's not like you've looked at Jesus' CV and gone, oh yeah, I know Jesus. This word know actually was this Jewish kind of euphemism for, for uh, sexual relationship in a marriage. Um, and they used it because they didn't want to say, you know, whatever. So they said, oh, like, so even if you read, like, the, the King James Bible, it'll say, like, Adam knew Eve, you know, or, or Noah knew his wife. Like, it, so it's this kind of thing. Like, but when you think about it, it's perfect. Like, it's a perfect way to describe it. Because when, when two people are intimate in that way, um, you see that, you see each other for who you really are. You know what I mean? Nothing is, nothing is, un, nothing is hidden. There's a, there's a bareness to that. Everything's uncovered. There's no hiding. It's, it's the opposite of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And John is saying, if you really know Jesus, so if you really see Jesus for who he really is, you'll obey him. Because when you really see Jesus for who he really is, then you'll see that he is actually the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you'll be overcome by his sheer majesty and his sheer glory and his sheer holiness. And you'll be compelled to just bow down and worship him. It's like what happened with Isaiah. 
in that vision that he had when he saw the glory of the Lord. There was, he, he, saw, he saw God for who he really is and his response was to say, woe is me, I am lost. I am unclean. And so when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we know him, we'll be compelled to obey him. Jesus even says this himself um, in, in Luke chapter 6, um, He's, he's kind of given a talk, and um, there's loads of people there. And uh, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? For Jesus, those two things didn't compute. Because if you call Jesus Lord and not obey him, it's this massive hypocrisy. In fact, John says in here, he says, if you do this, if, if you call Jesus Lord and don't do what he says, you're a liar. He's not like, oh, you're on, well, you guys are kind of misguided, or you're on the wrong track, or, you know, maybe you need some discipleship. He said, oh, you're a liar. And we don't, so we don't obey Jesus to make him Lord. We obey Jesus because we've seen him and we know he is Lord. Uh, John Stott, who's this, uh, I, I, I quote him a lot, but just because he always has really good things to say, but he says, whatever he may claim, the person who disobeys God does not actually and truly know God as God. If he did, he would bow unquestioningly to God's authority, wisdom, and power. When you see God, you'll obey him. And this is a sign that we're in him. So I want to ask this question to us as a church, as a community of people who claim to know and love Jesus. Do we obey Jesus? Do we, do we call him Lord and not do what he says? But notice how John ends this section in verse 6. Read verse 6. He says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He puts this emphasis on, on walking, I mean, the, the actual word that's used there can sometimes mean like literal walking on two legs, but, but more often than not, it's a reference to how you conduct your life, how you literally, it's literally how you regulate your life. So when John is saying, walk in the same way in which Jesus walks, he's saying, conduct your life in the same way as Jesus conducts his life. Take on the same priorities that he had. Take on the same principles that he had. Live in the way that Jesus lived. And how did Jesus walk? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus walked in perfect obedience to the Father. God himself testified this, right? When, when Jesus was baptized, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, even whenever he was about to go and be tortured and nailed to a cross, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's perfect obedience, even though it led him into suffering. And, G and John says, my little children, walk in the same way as which Jesus walked. Step out of darkness. Step into the light. Walk in the light. What did this mean for Jesus? It meant walking with the needy. It meant walking with the poor. It meant with walking with the outcasts. It meant walking with the sick. It meant walking in love, not away from his enemies, but toward his enemies. When the, when the, when the band of soldiers, maybe as many as a thousand soldiers, turned up to arrest Jesus, you know what the Bible says he did? It says that he stepped towards them. With mercy and grace and forgiveness, this is how we walk. It meant for Jesus walking with the lost. It meant spending time with people who needed him the most. Speaking truth to them and caring for them. And this is how we should walk. You see, South Belfast needs us to walk in the way in which Jesus walked, because otherwise, how will we know what Jesus is like? 
So if we really believe that the best thing for South Belfast is Jesus, then we need to walk in the way in which Jesus walked because that's how South Belfast will know what Jesus is like. And it's not just walking in this light. It's not just about the absence of sin for us. It's about the presence of love. We don't just, we don't just try and walk. It's not about, listen, I have, I have absolutely no time whatsoever for being good living. I don't give a monkeys about that. But what I do care about is, 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 is walking in love. It's not about the absence of sin. It's about walking in the presence of love. So maybe ask yourself, or, or to have this discussion in your MCs this week. If you don't know what MCs are, they're missional communities, and, and we meet in each other's homes throughout the week, and we discuss these things, and, we, and we, actually, uh, we actually encourage each other and pray for one another, and actually walk in the way, to actually walk in the way that Jesus walked. Have this conversation this week. Who, how can I walk more like Jesus? Who are the enemies I need to walk towards in love? Who are the poor and needy that I need to walk with? Who are the people that don't know Jesus that I need to spend time with? Where is the Lord calling me into greater obedience? The people of South Belfast need us to walk in the way of Jesus. But listen, there's one thing, I know that time's going on, but I want to get something really clear here. Because the language, anyway, it's not about obeying God's commands in order to make ourselves good enough to walk in the light with him, that's legalism. That's not what John's saying here. What the text is saying is that those who truly walk with God love to obey him and will obey his commands because in that way they grow a bit more like him every day. You see, if we really walk in the light of God, our behavior will become more and more like Jesus. If we're honest about our sin and confess it, we're going to become more and more like Jesus. And it'll become more and more natural for us to walk in the way of Jesus. I'm going to say this again. Walking in the light is not just about the absence of sin. It's about the presence of love. So God is light, and if we truly know him, we will have the right attitude to our sins, and we will obey his commands. But just at the end of this section... John gets a wee bit more specific about what the commands are. Uh, and so let's read verses 7 to 11. Huh, 7 to 11. Um, before, uh, sorry, beloved. He's always like, John's just like full of love to these people. Beloved, literally like my loved ones. I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I think sometimes we think of God as like this, um, like can you imagine, it was, yeah, imagine like a 1950s kind of dad that come, comes home from work and expects us to be perfectly silent and so is like kind of grumpy with the kids, like get them kids to shut up, like I want everything the way I should have it. And he has all these rules put down just so he can have things his way. But that's not what God is like. And if we had time, I could, we could unpack like the way that the Old Testament law was given and why it was given. 
But I don't have time, so what I'm going to say is this, that we need to understand that when God gives us commands, it's an expression of his love. Everything that God tells us to do, everything that God says we should do, uh, communicates something about him, right? His commands aren't just laws. His commands are expressions of himself. So, for example, when he says, love your neighbor, it's because God is a God of love. That makes sense. That's an easy one. And so God's commands are given to us uh, to enable us to walk in freedom, to enable us to be more like him, not to inhibit us. And so when John says here that the command that he's given them is an old command that they had received from the beginning, he's kind of talking about the command to love one another, and we'll get into this in more detail, um, when they first came to know Jesus. And because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, all the law and prophets, the command is also a really, really old one. Does that make sense? So he's saying, when you came to know Jesus, you received this command to, to love one another, but Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and prophets, so this command's a really, really, really old one. And it's woven throughout the history of the people of God, from, from God promising Adam and Eve that he would send someone to crush the serpent's head, uh, from, from God making the promise with Abraham that salvation for the world would, would come through his family line, for, from God promising David that he would establish his throne and that, 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 that the Messiah would come through his line, the line of kings, right through to us, the church. All of Jesus has been, all of, all of that has been about this one command, love God and love others. This is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 22. The entire law is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the command that John's given to him. He's saying, it's an old command because it's been from my interaction, it's been from God's interaction with human beings. And it's a new command because it comes to us now in Jesus. Love the Lord your God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's all about. Because this is what God is all about. And so a sign that we're in Jesus is that this is what our lives are about. And that's why he tells us to walk in the way in which Jesus walked. Because Jesus walked in fulfillment of this command. Jesus has the entirety of the law. All of that converges in Jesus. It's personified in Jesus. It's embodied in Jesus. And he makes us possible for the for us to live it out too. And John, just as we kind of start to finish up here, John says something amazing about this command. He says, at the same time, it's a new command that I am writing to you, this is verse eight, which is true in him, Jesus, and in you. The truth of this command is seen not only in Jesus, right? It's easy for us to, and we almost get used to it. Even if you're not a Christian, you might go, well, it makes sense that they would say all this stuff's fulfilled in Jesus because they talk about Jesus a lot. But what John is saying, that this command is actually fulfilled in you, in the Christians. It's, the truth of that is exposed in you. We display the truth of this command. For John, this is what genuine Christianity was all about. Jesus came and, and brought this new age, a new era, the era of the church, right? And God has made a new covenant with his people. A covenant, that's, a covenant is like this unbreakable sign, this unbreakable promise. And he puts his commands and his laws on our minds and our hearts, right? This is what Hebrews tells us. For this is the covenant I will 
laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so Jesus, who perfectly embodies and fulfills all of that law, has given us his power, his divine resources to live in the same way. And so by obeying, this is where it all sums together, by obeying his commands, by walking in the way that Jesus walked, we are living in the light of God and the amazing truth is that people see God through the way that we live. That command, that very old and very new command is summed up when we walk in the way in which Jesus walked. Does that make sense? And the amazing thing is, John tells us this, he, he said, God is already at work in the world. You're not doing this on your own. The darkness is passing away. A new light is shining. He said, this work's already happening, guys. So get on board with it. We walk through his power because Jesus isn't just our example. He's also our redeemer. There's something, as I finish, I want to sum up. Um, John, uh, when he writes, and sometimes it's kind of annoying to read. I oh, hope he's not annoyed with me in heaven someday for saying that. <laughs> Sorry, John. Why are we not a better writer? <laughs> uh, no, that's not. I'm saying it's, it's a style of literature that we're in our modern Western sensibilities not used to. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and he writes in this kind of cyclical way. So he won't like, he, Paul's very kind of like, but, 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 conclusion. John's more like, hey, this thing is so cool and I love you guys and here's a summary of all that and then back into here's, here's what I'm talking about again. And, and this is what he does. So let's go back to verses one and two of chapter two. It's all of this, what we've talked about, is summed up in these two verses. Maybe two of the most amazing verses in the whole world. My little children, verse one. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We've been talking a lot about confessing our sins and doing what Jesus told us, and and all that stuff sounds really hard, right? It sounds impossible. It sounds like, you just give me a whole bunch of stuff to do, and I know that I can't ever live up to that. And here's the truth, two things. Firstly, you will fail. But secondly, Jesus has got you. That's what he's saying. You're going to fail. We're all, battling, uh, 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 we're all battling against the flesh. Like, uh, even coming into the, the preparedness, there was lo- lo- some stuff that I just had to just say, God, this is me. Like, I- I'm not living what I'm about to teach on Sunday. I didn't mean to say even me, like I shouldn't say. I'm just, you know what I'm saying. But it means that you are going to fail. You're going to trip up. You're going to sin. But that's okay because you're in Jesus. It's not like when we become Christians, we become sinless. But when we become Christians in Jesus, we sin less. We're on a journey. You will stumble. You will fail. And it'll seem, honestly, it will seem to you, and maybe you're in this place right now, there's that one thing that you just keep struggling with and putting over and over in your head and you keep falling down and getting up again and falling down and getting up again. And you just want to get rid of it, but you can't. I just want to say, if that's you this morning, Jesus has you. He says two things about Jesus there. He says he's our advocate. That just means that he pleads for us. So Jesus the righteous, he calls him the righteous. Jesus the righteous stands in the presence of the heavenly father to speak on behalf of those who have not acted righteously. So when you fail and you sin, Jesus the righteous stands in heaven and pleads for you. And he says, Father, it's okay. That sin, that's paid for. 
look at, look at, look at this, Father. Look at my hands. Look at my side. It's okay, like, yeah, he, Andrew messed up, but, but look at this. Pleading for us on our behalf. He pleads for us. Not on our merit. He's not going, well, he, he, you know, he did that, yeah, but he's not struggling with this, this, and this. It's not on that. He's saying, yeah, I'm standing in front of him right now. Jesus pleads for us not on the basis of our merit, but on the basis of his sacrifice. And this is what he means when John says our propitiation. This word that is debated and, 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 and talked about a lot amongst kind of theological scholars, it literally means that it literally means that the wrath of God is satisfied and that we've been reconciled to God. That's what propitiation means. It means that we're covered. So all that hiding and all that, uh, all that in, in Genesis, all that hiding and all that trying to cover your sin, what are they going to do? Hide in a bush and sew together fig leaves? You know what happened then whenever they sinned? God came along and he saw them for what they were trying to do. And what did he do? He killed animals and he made them clothes. He covered them. And Jesus covers us. This is what the gospel means. We're no longer subject to his wrath. Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus, not an animal to give us physical clothes, but he sacrificed his physical body. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to take communion. We're going to take this Lord's Supper, this meal that was given to us by Jesus, which represents his body sacrificed for us and his blood that spilled out for us so that he could stand in heaven and say, this person, they're good. Look at the sacrifice I made. You know, do, you know, do you know what I was talking about with someone this week? This is really cool. When, uh, when, when Jesus returns and in the, in the new creation, we'll all have, if we're Christians, we'll all have resurrected, glorified bodies. Bodies without scars, bodies without illness, bodies without frailty and weakness. You know the only person that's going to have scars for eternity? It's Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And he stands in front of us before the Father and says, they're good, they're in me. And when Jesus looks at you, if you're a Christian this morning, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see how you messed up 10 times this week. He doesn't see how you're going to mess, mess up 10 times this week. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And I want to finish by saying this. If, yeah, I, there's lots of you that I don't know in this room. Um, and if you're not a Christian, the amazing news is that this is available to you. You can have that. Um, and you just have to accept Jesus. And I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to explain to you what that means. I'd love to, I'd love to sit down and, and, and answer your questions because some of it seems weird and crazy. I know it seems weird and crazy to me too. And I've been doing this a long time. So come and chat to me if, you, if you'd like to do that. We're gonna, um, uh, Tom and the guys are gonna come back up and, and we're gonna uh, sing to God again. While we do that, we're gonna take this meal together. Um, Let me pray and then I'll explain how we'll do this. Father, thank you that when you look at us, because of Jesus, you see not impurity and sin and dirt and muck. You see righteousness. You see purity. You see holiness. And Lord, that's nothing of us. That you've actually put your righteousness onto us. Jesus, thank you that you plead for us on a daily basis. You plead for us. You, you're, our, you're our go-between man. You're our in-between Father, will we just see your holiness and would you change our lives because of that? We're not worthy of your sacrifice, but yet you gave it freely. Why should I, why should I get a reward 
but yet in Jesus, you've given me that reward. Uh, Father, help us to, to help the truth of that to impact us now as we take this meal, and may we leave this place changed because of it. May we leave this place to tell everyone how good this is, and may our presence here and your presence be, uh, be for the good of this city and be for the good of this neighborhood and be for the good of the, these streets. We love you, Jesus.